everyone. It's good to see you. I want to say a special howdy to some of our new friends we've met. If you're a newbie, we love newbies around here. Glad you're here. Maybe for the first time, glad you're here. Let's go crazy and welcome everyone at all the other campuses. Hey, everybody. Abingdon, Aberdeen, Mountain Road, Edgewood, online people. Glad you're with us today. Today's going to be a really important day. Uh, I hope you can already sense that. I hope you're ready for what could be for you a spiritual breakthrough. We have an opportunity today to invite God to make clear to us the answer to a very important question, which is, how do I need to change? How do I need, what's a step, what's a move I need to make? And I I hope that you'll be ready uh, to make that. A few years back, a guy by the name of Bruce Wilkinson came up with this idea of three chairs. It was a very powerful spiritual tool. We latched onto it, have adapted it, and used it a number of times, and you know, It's crazy to me the number of times I'll ask somebody, you know, a mountain person, like, what was one of the really profound turning points of your life? How many times people will say, it was the day we did the three chairs thing. Everything got clear and God spoke and I moved. And uh, guess what? Today's that day. Uh, It's just, it's something that God uses around here. And so we're we're going back uh, to to visit it again and uh, to meet you where you are today. But first I got to tell you about Larry Walters. All right, true story. Larry Walters grew up, he always had a dream of wanting to fly, but um, he tried to get into the Air Force, and they were like, nope, your eyesight's not good enough, you can't go in the Air Force. So here's this poor guy. He lives right by the, the airport in Los Angeles, and he has to sit in his backyard and watch these planes go overhead every day and wonder, what would it be like to fly? Well, one day he says, I'm going to find out. So Larry, <laughs> Larry goes over to his girlfriend, Carol's house with his buddy Ron, and he gets a metal lawn chair and 42 of those big weather balloons and fills them all with helium, ties them to the chair, yeah, and then he gets like a six-pack of beer and a BB gun and a CB radio, and he thinks he's going to float around the neighborhood at a few hundred feet for a little while, take a look around. When he wants to come down, he'll shoot a couple balloons and drift back to earth. Well, Larry was wrong. Before he could even untether the things, it busts loose and he shoots up into the sky like at 1,000 feet per minute, all the way to 16,000 feet, right in the flight path of jumbo jets coming into LAX, which is kind of funny. They actually have a real UFO reporting on the record. Can you imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're flying in and there's a pilot and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, we're beginning our descent into Los Angeles. Holy cow! <laughs> I think that's a guy in a lawn chair with a BB gun and a Budweiser, you know, or whatever, you know. But it really, it really happened. So Larry got a little concerned about the jets flying by him. Uh, and, and so he says, well, it's time to come down. And he starts shooting out balloons. He shoots out six of the balloons before he drops his, his gun to the earth by accident. But fortunately, it was enough that eventually he drifts down and he lands in this neighborhood. And... Um, of course, there were news trucks there. I mean, he, he became famous. He was on Letterman. Uh, the, the lawn chair, here's a picture of the actual lawn chair. It was in the Smithsonian, okay? I mean, this, this guy, he had it going on. But when he, of course, gets on the ground, there's the media's there, and they're, they rush up to him, and they're like, Larry, uh, were you scared? And he's like, yep. <laughs> you know, Larry, would you do it again? He's like, nope. <laughs> and then they asked him a third question. They said, uh, why'd you do it? And I love his answer. He said, well, you can't just sit there. (laughs) Okay. 
You know, I think there does become a time in each of our lives where we have that sense, don't we, that we need to move. And you can't just sit where you are any longer. That something needs to happen or should happen in, 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 a, in a holistic sense, but also in a spiritual sense, like it's time to move. I hope that you are ready today to be gut-level honest about what that might look like in your life, because I believe that God is here and that God will speak to every one of us and that in the next few minutes you'll have an idea of a move. It might be an overdue move, a bold move, but it's a move that God hopes you'll make. You know, Larry says you can't just sit there, but the truth is you can. Spiritually speaking, you can. You can ignore the voice of God. You can resist a spiritual breakthrough if you want to. And some of us have been doing that for a long time, and maybe today that changes. First step is figuring out actually where you are today, like being really honest about which of these three chairs, because everybody is sitting in one of these three chairs today. Every single person is. And that you'll be honest enough to, to answer, not in a way that's like, well, which chair do you want to be in? Or which chair did you used to be in? Which chair do you want people to think you're in? But which chair are you actually in is the first important step. So I'm going to give you some key words to kind of identify each chair. And you just do the work of kind of being honest about what actually is the case in your life. Okay, fair enough. We'll start with chair one. Chair one over here, a person who sits in chair one is not a perfect at all, but they do they have come to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God who has come to live and then die and to rise again and has provided the forgiveness of sins. And this person doesn't just believe that stuff, but like lives in a way that Jesus, the living Christ, is the undisputed leader of their actual lives in everyday life. They, they don't just believe in God in a way that's in their head, like you know, they're, they're actual devoted followers, disciples of Jesus who are completely sold out. They have a real relationship with God who's the center of your life and your walk of faith is real and it kind of dictates everything about your life. So the word, the kind of the word that maybe sums up chair one would be commitment because there's a commitment to God there. Um, there's a loyalty, you know, that's there. Um, on one sense, you know that God has been faithful to you and you live your life out of that trust, but also God knows that you'll be faithful to him. And that person in this chair just joyfully demonstrates this kind of commitment in all the ways we talk around here, like love God, love people, serve the world. Love God, they're, they're, they participate in worship with joy and gladness. You know, they're, they're connected they, they, to, the, to the Lord through prayer and scripture. They they love people in the sense that they, they do community with others. They're, they're, they're maybe connected to people far from God to help them appreciate their own commitment and, and to be invited into it. They serve the world through just being generous with their attitude, their mindset, their time, their talent, and their treasure toward the things of God because God is the center of their life, the sort of locus around which everything else revolves. Chair one is about commitment, okay? Get it? Chair two hits differently. Okay, chair two is um, maybe the best word for chair two would be the word compromise. Okay, compromise. Because on the one hand, this person claims to, you know, have a relationship with, with God. Okay, um, and maybe that was more fully expressed in the past, but that's not just 
the way it's playing out right now in your life, if truth be told. Your faith is kind of faded. Your relationship with God has kind of taken a bit of a back burner. You're busy. You're caught up in other things. Um, the commitment part has dwindled. Jesus actually told um, uh, a story one time. I don't know how many of you are gardeners or you actually plant seeds. A lot of times we just buy plants that are already, you know, growing and stick them in the ground. But Jesus told a story that likened God, the Father, to um, a farmer who slings seed everywhere. And, and in the story, Jesus says some of the seed falls along a path, and before it gets a chance to really grow up, birds come along and gobble it up. Or it gets trampled underfoot, okay? Some of the seed, he says, falls on what he calls rocky ground. It's got real thin topsoil, so it dies off quickly. It has no root system to it, and it, it dies off as quickly as it springs up. And, and Jesus says, you know, that's, that's how chair two people really are. Um, you maybe started strong in the faith. Maybe you were baptized at some point. You made a promise to God and to some other people, to yourself, but it, at this point in your life, it's not really playing out that way. It, it hasn't lasted. I know I'm talking to some chair two people right now who, who understand this. You, in your past, maybe when you were younger, there was a vibrant time of aliveness to God. You had spiritual seeds that planted and did grow up and sprouted, but something happened along the way. You got busy, you went to college, you made other friends, you something, you know, a tragedy maybe, or just you got, went on a spiritual vacation for whatever reason. And you may still think of yourself as a Christian because you do believe in God, but the truth is that your expression of faith would be better described not by commitment, but by compromise. That's why a lot of two, chair two people, by the way, they feel guilty a lot because they love God, they, they, but they, they just, they know in the back of their mind how their living doesn't match it and, and it, it, they feel guilty a lot. Um, that's why compromise is, is kind of um, a good word that describes it. Notice this chair rolls around, which is very convenient for chair two people because sometimes you want to kind of hang around with these people and kind of reflect some of those things, but maybe some other times some other things as well. And that's the nature of chair two is it kind of depends on who you're with and the circumstances you're around really shape more of your commitment than you might like to admit. That's what chair two is about. It kind of depends on who, you are, who you're with and where you are. Chair three is neither commitment nor compromise. Chair three might be best described as complacency, okay? The person in this chair, they may appear to be a wonderful person or a nasty person. The appearance isn't the issue. The issue is that deep down, they are spiritually complacent. They don't have a relationship with God, and they're fine with that. This is a very comfortable chair to sit in. You know, you could, you could be in this chair a long time. The, the attitude of this chair is, you know, leave me alone. I'm, I'm good. I'm doing just fine. I don't see the relevance of all this Christian stuff. Whatever the reason, the person is ultimately rejecting Christ and is saying, I'm okay with that. Actually, Jesus, in the story he told, mentioned um, how some of the seed will fall and grow up but then the cares of this world, like, like thorns, will come and choke it out. And often that's what's happened to a person in this chair. Whether the problems, cares, philosophies, worldview uh, of the world around us has kind of just choked out the openness to consider the simple beauty of truth in Christ. So the person in this chair, they might be an avowed atheist, like they 
there is no God, religion is stupid, or they might be someone who actually goes to church and or, or claims to be a Christian, but who for all intents and purposes lives as a practical atheist. Practically speaking, lives as if there is no God. So that's it. Commitment, compromise, complacency. Kind of feeling it? Making a little sense? Let's go back through. I want to share a passage of scripture with you that kind of shows the evolution or the regression, if you will, of what can happen in our life. And so let me take you to uh, the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 24, starting at about verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, Joshua um, spoke to the people and he said, now honor the Lord and serve him faithfully with your whole heart. You see how he's calling people to chair one living right there. Like you gotta, you, you gotta give God what he deserves. And then he says, you gotta throw away those gods that your parents and ancestors worshiped on the other side of the river. Don't go after that. You've got to serve the Lord alone. And then he says in verse 15, he says, you got to choose. Because everyone chooses some God or other. And he says, you've got to choose. You can, go, you can continue to serve the gods that your you know, lethargic parents did. Or, or you can do something special for yourself. But he says, and then in verse 15, he just lays it out. He says, as for me and my house, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. And it's crystal clear. There's no wiggle room. There's no waffling. There's no weakness. There's no, you know, gee, I wonder where he really stands. It's very clear unambiguous, this is a sold-out um, commitment. What's interesting is a, a little time passes, and you turn one page over in your Bible over to Judges chapter 2, and what we find there is that the commitment begins to slip away, and they find themselves in something more like a chair to reality. If you look at Judges chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who lived longer than Joshua, all those folks, it says, who had seen, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Maybe you didn't even notice it if I hadn't emphasized it because it's subtle and that's always how the shift from chair one to two is. It's always very subtle. But do you see how it's kind of slipped to past tense? It's like, now we're talking about the relationship I used to have with God. Like I don't necessarily have any fresh stories to tell about what God is actually doing in my life today. These are people in the Old Testament. They had, my goodness, they had seen the Lord um, part the Jordan River, made the sun stand still, given them a victory over the battle of Jericho. And those were all things that were in the past. And they were referring to the things that God had done. And chair two feels like that. Like you are kind of living off of the fumes of previous spiritual intensity. Now watch what happens next because it's crazy. The spiritual regression continues and in not that long a time, sure enough, the folk end up over here in chair three. If you look at Judges chapter two, verse eight, it says Joshua... And the people who knew Joshua and who had made a commitment with him back there, the, the as for me and my house people, all of them died. And it says, another generation grew up who did not know the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. Boom. Verse 12. They just went their own way. They abandoned the Lord. They didn't really, you know, they didn't pay attention to all the things that God had done in their life. They just chased after other gods. And do you see that movement? From, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, to, oh, I remember when we used to walk with the Lord, to, I don't even know the Lord. 
And it actually happens that way a lot, doesn't it? We've seen it. You've seen it. And so you, you're probably thinking of someone right now. You, their parents grew up as, um, you know, committed people. But their kids are over here. It can happen in an individual life. There's a, there's a gradual slide that's very easy uh, to happen. Spiritual erosion can happen in an individual's life or any family life. Okay? So, we'll go back to it again, kind of give you another lens. How about this? One of the main reasons for the spiritual slippage that happens in this way is how we think about God. Okay? Let's, let's go back through. Chair number one. Let me give you some words. Chair number one tends to think about their connection to God in terms of relationship. Like, we don't think of God as this distant being or entity or some idea, but rather there's a relationship that's real and there's a connection. So prayer is about actually talking to a, a God who's listening and who speaks and there's this real dynamic that's, that's involved there. We have a, a plaque in our house on the wall that I wish I lived up to every moment, but it's beautiful. Here's what, what it says. It says, Jesus is the unseen guest in this house. He's the head of this house. He's the unseen guest at every meal. And he's the silent listener to every conversation. And chair one people live with that sense of the presence of God because it's a relationship. And he's part of my life. I want to be in Christ as we sang just a minute ago. You live with that awareness and you welcome God's spirit. You're not running from it. You're like always listening and looking for it. Chair one is about a relationship that's real. Chair two doesn't tend to think about uh, the, the, the connection to God in terms of relationship as much as, honestly, it's more like religion. Okay, religion, Christianity is, is more about rituals to be endured than it is a relationship to be enjoyed. Okay, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts for a lot of people in this box. It's, it's, a, it's a box to check. If it's fun, it's probably off limits. God is a traffic cop and you got to look in your rearview mirror because he's probably at a speed trap trying to bust you and ruin your fun. And so that, it's a religion. And, and so this is why a person in this chair, when they come to church, they leave unchanged because they don't engage at a heart level, a real level, because it's just religion. It's not a relationship. And so we end up going through the motions. We get stuck in a rut. It becomes this thing that I do. And that's why we sometimes have the same selfish attitude a year later than we did a year earlier. It's why we struggle with the same sin pattern for years, because we're just doing religion. Chair two comes with a, a dresser, a chest of drawers. And this chest of drawers represents a life that has different compartments in it. And so as we, as we come to, to this sort of chest of drawers, the person in, in this chair, they might, they might have a family up here, you know, here's a, maybe a, your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever you got, whatever, you got a dog, what's a, a cat, no, you don't have a cat, what? what's that about, what's that about anyway, and then, and then you got, you've got this here, you've got your work drawer, okay, this is my job, you know, you, you, you've got that, but it's kind of separate down there, and then you've got this drawer here, here's your God drawer, it's your Jesus drawer, but it kind of stays in there. And then down here, we've got our money drawer, right? This is, uh, this is the, the money, but it stays separate from all this other stuff. And then down there, I've got, well, that's a private one, actually. We don't look in there. We just keep that one locked. I don't, we don't need to talk about that. Here's the thing. A person in chair two forgets that God owns the whole dresser. Like, it's all of, it's because we've got our 
Jesus in one of our drawers. It's a little compartment of our lives because I don't have a relationship so much as I have a religion. Chair three could best be summarized maybe by the word rejection because this person has essentially rejected a relationship with God, okay? They may, again, look and be successful and happy on the outside, but they're someone who has not said with Joshua, as for me and my house, I, I will serve the Lord. They're, they're not serving the Lord, and that, Jesus would say, is rejection. I'm thinking, actually, uh, of several people that are friends of mine, one in particular, who just can't find it in himself to uh, believe in God right now. And I said to him one time, I said, you know, I respect, you know, maybe the reasons you have for where you are, but can I just say to you, if at the end of our lives it turns out that I'm wrong and you're right, that there is, in fact, no God, I've actually lost nothing. I still have had a great life. I've had lots of joy and peace and community. I've made a difference in the world. My family has lived by principles of love. It's a good life. But if you're wrong, and millions and millions and millions of others that I agree with are right, that Jesus is who he said he is, then you've, you've actually lost everything. And you're missing out on so much now, but also in the next life. And a person in chair three is just saying, I'm just willing to roll the dice, cross my fingers, and hope I'm right in that. And a lot of people in this chair would say, well, I don't really want to reject Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to accept certain things he does. You know, there's, he's a good teacher, and there's other things that, there's other things too. And they kind of want to have an, like an eclectic stew of stuff that we imagine can all be rolled together. And, and Jesus has a funny way of saying, I really need you to accept me on my own terms, not yours. And that's where Jesus says, I, I, he defines himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And there, there's kind of an open invitation to every single person, so it's not exclusive. But it is exclusive in the sense that Jesus says, I need you to trust me and make me your God. And so a person in chair three is just not ready or willing uh, to do that at this moment in their life. And that's why they're in chair three. So you see how this works? Okay. Here's how we can also tell what chair you're in, and that is by answering the question, who really calls the shots in your life? Like, who's the boss of you? Like, if you had a board, who's the chairman of your board, right? So chair one, the answer would be kind of like God first. Like, really and truthfully, you're trying to live in a way where God is more important than Whatever influences come through your job, or your finances, your family, your instincts, your personality, God first because you have full-time faith and you want to be able to, 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 you care more about what God says than what anyone else says. Putting God first means you look to him for your strength, for your comfort, for your wisdom. You're leaning into the voice of God for protection, for help with temptation. You want to hear from God. And when you get off track, you sense his spirit nudging you and you get back on track because God first. C.S. Lewis once said, the one thing true Christianity cannot mean is that you are moderately, you think God, you, it, that you think Jesus is moderately important. Christianity can never be moderately important in your life. Because it needs to be God first. 
That's chair one. Chair two is like, well, I appreciate that, and I want God to give me blessings and direction and help, but I also want a voice in a lot of what I do and say about my life. So it's kind of a mixture of God and self in chair two. You want to also grab the rudder and steer the ship of your life as well. And that's why this person sometimes has like, you know, you've seen those hearing aids that some guys have that kind of have an on-off switch, very selective hearing for their, for their wife. Have you ever seen that? Some of us have that for Jesus, right? It's like sometimes, I've, I, I've had that very hearing aid in sometimes with Jesus where it's like sometimes, it's like, oh, thank you for that, but, but I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. I'm just going to kind of turn it off for a while. That's one of the reasons why people in chair two feel guilty a lot. They just kind of, because they're always trying harder to do it on their own strength. It's not God first, it's God himself. So when I rely on myself for getting through temptation or making a decision or whatever, I end up just kind of feeling tired a lot. And I've, I know what it's like to sit in chair two where God speaks clearly and you just say, nah, I, I, I didn't hear that. So who calls the shots in your life chair two a good question for you is if God actually completely pulled out of your life how long would it take you to even realize it like are you really walking with God depending on God for anything are you turning where do you go when you actually need comfort strength wisdom do you go to God or do you go someplace else it's a really great and very telling questions Chair three people don't have that dual or split allegiance. They're not God first. They're not God and self. It's just self because they're unapologetic about, I'm going to be the master of my fate. I, I am going to decide what, what I want to do. It comes down to me. I think, you know, trying to find a God piece in this whole thing about where my life goes is, is stupid. So that's where you are in chair three. Are you getting some insight into how all this works? Okay. Maybe you're, you're beginning to identify where you are. My friend Kyle says um, chair one could be described as um, a follower of Jesus because guess what? You believe Jesus, Jesus is living and he's actually leading you and you are actually following Jesus. Cool. Chair two would be more like a fan, okay? Like a, a fan is someone who thinks of themselves as a follower, okay? But the, the truth is, I'm really more of an admirer or a supporter or a friend. So, you know, today the Ravens play where? Cleveland, and there's going to be some people there who are fans who traveled there and the people wearing the jersey. Vikings this year, my Vikings are 0-3. So there's a lot of people that were cheering for us when we won, but they put the jersey on and the face paint, right? But now that we're 0-3, they're disgusted and they're just like not having it. They won't even watch the game today. And Jesus says, you know, I got fans like that who are all about it and put the Jesus jersey on sometimes, and then the moment he asks something difficult or it feels like you might have to lose something or give up something, they're like, I'm out. So what's that one? Follower. Fan. This one's a foe. Foe is just a word that means enemy. And again, a person in this chair may not like to characterize themselves for that, but Jesus actually said, if you're not for me, you are against me. So there was a man named Nicodemus. He was part of a group called the Sanhedrin, a group of religious followers in that day. They were, they were actual enemies of Jesus. Shouldn't have been, but they were. And Nicodemus is part of that group, but he starts getting curious and interested. He starts drifting over toward fandom, you know. He wants to be secret admirer. So he comes at night to Jesus to kind of listen in. He, and this could work out great for him, you know. He could kind of keep his identity as a Sanhedrin, but he could also, like, 
you know, hang out, get some of the benefits of Jesus without really making any changes in his life. And Jesus is like, dude, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Jesus says to him, he says to Nick at, at night, uh, he says, we're not talking about putting on a jersey here. We're talking about a complete makeover. You've got to be like born all over again. This is, and he doesn't ask Nicodemus to move over here into chair two to become a, a fan. He, he, he says, you know, you, you move all the way to chair one become a follower or, or not at all. So, so you see how so many things in our life are shaped by which chair we're in, right? Talk, talk about the Bible, for example. If you're in chair one, the word would be like submits to the Bible because this person loves the Bible. It's not like this foreign ancient book. It's like this beautiful gift and you, you want to feed on it and hear from it because you think it's true, it's reliable, it's authoritative, it's, it's like a directive for your life. And, and even if you don't understand all of it, you trust the author of it. So when the Bible says, forgive someone you don't want to forgive, you actually forgive them. You actually love an enemy. You actually, if it says something about your sex life or your money, you do it. Because why? If you're in chair one, you submit to the Bible. It's kind of a yes or no question. And then chair two would be more like, I respect the Bible. I, I would never diss it, but let's not get carried away. Let's not, you know, we don't have to go to extremes here. Let's respect it, but let's not say, you know, let's not study it or, you know, whatever. And then chair three would be more like, I, I ignore the Bible. I think it's a bunch of man-made stuff. It's, uh, it's like not even true. I respect it as literature maybe, but, you know, it's not relevant to my life and it's old-fashioned and outdated and probably full of evil things that were more sophisticated than today. So can you see which chair you're in? Tell me which chair you're in, and I can tell you what you tend to think of the church. Chair one people don't say, I go to church. They love that we are the church, and they know it's filled with flawed but forgiven people who are walking with Jesus, who are actually finding fulfillment in the midst of the worst circumstances sometimes. But we find joy in the hard times and we're changing the world. We're doing unstoppable good. And they love that about it. Chair two wouldn't see it as a community. They would see it more like a club. Like, you know, it's got some benefits for me and I'll join and maybe meet some people. But it's not a life-changing entity. Chair three would see the church more like more like a custom. It's just a cultural custom. Some people do it. Maybe I'll even go on Easter or Christmas, okay? Which chair you are in shapes everything about your dating life, about your money, everything. How about, how about marriage? Chair one would tend to see marriage as something you say yes to, to an individual, but also to God. So it's a covenant. It's unconditional and love between a man and woman that binds them together over time. Chair two would see it more like a contract. It's a, it's a conditional, like strings attached. And if my love weakens, our marriage is now on shaky ground. Chair three might tend to see marriage more as a matter of convenience because there's no partnership with God necessarily in the mix. Well, there isn't a, a partnership with God in that. And, and so that's how you would tend to view marriage. You see, it just it affects virtually everything that we do. What about kids? If you're a parent in chair one, your number one goal is to raise godly kids. And you realize they've got to make their own choices. But you also are going to do everything you can to help them know, love, honor, serve, and find their greatest joy in God. That's your number one goal in a number one chair. In chair two, it's more like a cultural expectation. I want to raise good kids. Kids who stay out of trouble. 
Kids who are happy, successful, get a job, marry a, you know, a person who's not an axe murderer or whatever. You know, you want good kids. And chair three would maybe, sometimes it drifts more to more like I want successful kids because their standing with God or their inner character is not as important to me as maybe their standing at a school or on a team or in their workplace and so forth. And by the way, you know what? First chair parents tend to raise first chair kids. Not always. A lot of first-year family kids grow up and they choose to do whatever they are going to do. But the best shot at raising a first-year kid is doing your best to kind of let God make you a first-year person. Also, a fact that we should pay attention to is that second-chair parents tend to raise third-chair kids. Because your kids look and watch and see, and they see compromise and hypocrisy, and, and they're looking for something real. They're looking for something real, which means we should, as a parent, just say, God, help me get as much of my butt in that first chair as I can to help my kids, too. So it affects everything. How you think of your job? You know, people in chair one tend to see their job as a as a blessing from God that then they can use to bless others. I see it as a mission field. I'm going to be on mission at my job, and I'm going to use the income to bless others. Chair two, it's like, well, it's my job, and I'm going to see, I see it as benefits for me. And chair three might just see it as all about the bucks, you know. Virtually everything in our life is affected depending on which chair we're sitting in. So can I just ask you a really personal question right now? Which chair are you sitting in? Like today. Where are you? Got level honest. I, I believe that there are some of you who feel like, you know, I'm not perfect, but some of the things you said are actually true of me, and I feel like I'm, I'm a chair one person. You're committed to Christ, and if that's you, you ought to thank God today for the people and the influences who led you here. You didn't get here on your own. It's a lot of grace in that statement if you're able to say, I have found the pearl of great price. It's not about you being so, so great. It's that by God's grace, you found your way to this chair where you have the love of God in your life. But the word I have for you today is the word rededicate. I'm asking you, and you, I hope you will rededicate yourself with fervor and earnestness and sincerity and intensity to the Lord Jesus Christ because every relationship needs to be refreshed. You can't coast, and it's that way in Jesus Christ. If you're in chair one, rededicate yourself today. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come after me, let them deny themselves every day and take up their cross daily, daily. Today's that day. So rededicate yourself today to put God first in your life again, to feed off his word, to have it affect your relationships, your mindset, your attitude, your joy, your peace. Put him first. Make it evident. Think of the church as a chair one person would. Think of his word and your relationships as a chair one person would. Influence others like a committed, rededicated person would. You maybe said it before. Say it again today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I don't care if anybody goes with me. That's where I'm going. No turning back. We need a church full of dedicated first chair people. Put God first.
rededicate yourself today. I know when I was talking today, I'm talking to a bunch of people who are like, good grief, how did I get over here? But that's where I am. And the word that maybe best describes an action that you need to take today, that God is hoping you'll take, is the word repent. Repent just means to change, to turn, to turn away from something and turn to God, to turn your whole heart and your energy back to the Lord. Second chair can be a dangerous place to sit because you can tell yourself, hey, I still believe in God, but let me remind you of something. The demons believe in God, but they're not following, they're not loving, they're not serving, they don't have a saving relationship with God. So you need those times of refreshment the Bible promises when we simply turn our heart to him with a fresh vulnerability and openness, not you trying to do something, but just receive something. Revelation 3 puts it in stark terms, the words of Jesus himself. He says, I'm looking at you, and I see that you're lukewarm. You're neither hot or cold. You're just lukewarm, and honestly, I want to spit you out of my mouth. And maybe you're kind of feeling that same way about the mediocrity of your own faith. Can I read something to you? A poem. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there were seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, had it up to here, and there I dropped you on your rear. <laughs> because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. You can just sit there. I hope you don't. There is a better, richer, fuller, more beautiful, wonderful way to live where you have more than lip service and external appearance of Christianity, but you're living and walking with God and he's in your life, and you're done with the compartments, and the whole dresser is given back to God so he can speak to and influence and help your family, help all of it. No more compartments, and he'll guide your relationships, and he'll help you make that move, and you can have that breakthrough today as you move toward Christ, and you move back to chair one where you belong, and you can say, I'm finished with the rolling around based on wherever I am. I know who I am. I'm going to be in Christ. I'm going to be for Christ. I want him to be with me. As for me and my house, I'm going to start serving the Lord with less waffling. And I can tell you what needs to happen for some of you who are in chair two. And that is the same thing that happened when a person in the New Testament period of time said, I want to start following Jesus. For some of you, you need to make an internal change because you've already been baptized, but some of you have not been baptized, and that is the step that you need to take today. You need to, you need to do what they did in the Bible when they turned to Jesus. They got into the water as a way of surrendering themselves and coming up out to say, I'm going to do that. We, we have today um, a baptistry pool you saw on the way in, and it's there, and maybe you didn't know it, but that water's there for you maybe today. If you've not said yes to Jesus through baptism, you've not said yes to Jesus.
the way the Bible asks us to. It's that simple. It's a simple little step of obedience that if we won't make that, there's other things he's got for you that you won't say yes to either. So you say, well, I can't do it today. I say, well, yes, you can. Of course you can. We've got all the, you know, shirts and towels and all the stuff you'd need there. So some of you, if you've not been baptized, you need to go get in that water in just a little bit, okay? So here's, here's I mean, are you tracking what I'm saying? Some of you are like, I wasn't planning on that. It's like, I don't care. Were you planning on having a spiritual breakthrough? How about God's timing instead of yours? How's that been working out for you with what you've been doing? So how about this? Here's you in chair two, some of you, right now. Here's the Holy, I'm the Holy Spirit. Here's what needs to happen. Hey, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, good, let's go. Here we go. You're going to go right over here to the baptistry. Yeah. This is what needs to happen in some of our lives. It's like, yeah, you came this far. Let's do it. Okay? We need, some, of you, some of you need to do that today. Wouldn't that be cool? And some of you are like, oh, gosh, he threw a chair in the baptistry. I'll tell you, that is not anything compared to what will happen in your life if you just trust Christ and let that water of baptism symbolize the washing and the freeing and the setting free of what can happen in your life. So that's a thing that can happen today. Now, I want to say something to you also if you're over in chair three, because chair one, the word is rededicate. Chair two, it's repent. Chair three, I want to say thank you if you're in chair three and you're here today. And I know there's probably some things that have been hard for you to hear. I want to say thank you for being here. And I want to acknowledge that you might have some very good reasons for why you're in chair three for why you're skeptical of Christianity or, or things that are hard for you to swallow about this whole thing. Maybe you've been hurt. I don't know. But I want to also tell you that this is a safe place to have a legit spiritual journey, okay? It is. But if you're also serious about going on a legit spiritual journey, i got to warn you that if you do that, God is going to speak to you. And God is going to rattle your cage. He's going to convict you as he may be doing right in this moment right now. And convict you and jolt you and help you raise some doubt about your doubts. And say, what if I am wrong? The word I would give you in chair three is the word receive. Because I just pray you will receive the love that God has for you. That you've been resisting. I pray that you will receive Jesus Christ as Lord, as truth, as love. And I got to warn you, chair three is pretty comfortable, but it, it also comes with a lot of emptiness and some sorrow and disappointment. And it has no answer for what happens when you die. I know some people are like, I'm in chair three, but it's comfortable now and I'll get around to it later. And I just want to say, you know what? Today, the Bible says today is the day. And maybe today is your day. And my invitation to you would be that you would receive the love that God has for you and that you wouldn't move from chair three to chair two, but that you would move all the way to chair one, that you would take the plunge as well and just surrender your life to Christ and you will not regret it. I promise. I promise. So what are you going to do? If you're in chair one, I hope you rededicate yourself with intensity and fervor. If you're in chair two or three and you've not been baptized, I hope that you do that. And if you have been baptized, I, I hope that you rededicate yourself with everything you've got. I think let's turn on that light over there because I want to show you where you're going to go. We're going to stand up and sing. And some of you are like, I'm going to do the baptism thing. And you're going to head right over there. Where's Jared? Is someone over there? There he is. 
You're going to head right over there, and there's some people that have already said, I'm in today, but maybe that's you, and you weren't planning on it, but we're ready for you, okay? And when the service is dismissed, we're just going to walk out there and surround and celebrate and cheer for you when you get baptized today, give you a new shirt, send you home with a new life, all right? Whatever you do, uh, make sure you're taking the step that God's leading you to take. Don't miss it. So we're going to sing a song. Let's all stand to our feet. And if you need to go right now, just kind of make your way out. If you want to, head over there. Or after the song is over, it's good too. And uh, one thing is for sure, we can't stay here. We all got to move. Make your move. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us into a relationship with you. Help us remember that being in chair one is not about us at all. It's about you giving us your grace and us receiving it so that we can, we can claim faith in you. I pray for everyone here that they'll make the move you're asking us to make and for those who need to be baptized that they'll do that as a symbol of their obedience, surrender, conviction, and commitment. We pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people say,